Hey everybody, welcome to Heterodox Americana. This is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us. The question that we're ultimately trying to get at here is, how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings? And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts. So we've talked about people's kind of relationships, the relationship to relationships before. Uh, and it definitely seems like one of these things where it can loom large enough on someone's consciousness that this actually starts to not just impede their ability to thrive, but I think for some people, their relationship or the problems in their relationship or their lack of a relationship can be consuming enough that it really starts to, would you, you know, maybe deteriorate the, the quality of their lives? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you ever experienced this? Me personally? I mean, like, just in, in terms of observation. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. I think this is, as adults, this seems to be, you know, the most attention is paid to the person that you're either pursuing or that you're with or that you want. Um, yeah, it's a thing. I think when we enter, I mean, certainly all through adolescence, you know, this is the game, right? It's like the little mating game. Right. Um, and, you know, all creatures do this little thing, you know, peacocking or whatever it is. But I think as adults, probably some of the ways of which we believe that happiness exists is through this primary connection, however that looks. And so there is this great pursuit to find um, the best or if it's not the best to fix it or if you can't fix it to get out of it and get somewhere else. It seems to be this ever going kind of cycle. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you use that that term primary, would you say primary relationship? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I, I think, however it is that we've kind of conceptualized that, that culturally, maybe that in itself, that concept is part of the problem. I mean, when we look at the, the, the things that actually lead to happiness, it's it's having human relationships that are positive relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, however, we've constructed this notion, and that could be like community, it could be family, it could be romantic relationship it dozens of relationships but not this idea of uh, of like this primary relationship do you think that that concept in and of itself is is part of the reason that people have so much difficulty managing like maybe the relationships in their lives or yeah maybe um you know i think what we've done is we've constructed this primary relationship Um, In a way, in in modernity, we've constructed it as kind of the catch-all for everything. Emotional attachment, physical attachment, um, friendship, uh, you know, safety. There's so many, I think, catchments of which this primary relationship is supposed to function as. So maybe it's a primary relationship. That's fine because, you know, we, we have primary relationships as adults but perhaps it's all of the emphasis of which we put on this primary relationship that kind of gets us into trouble hmm so how do we get out of that well uh, i mean i i know how (laughs) anyway how how do you think we get out of that well i don't know i mean it sounds like you're going somewhere with that how do we get out of that uh can i just turn it towards you 
Uh, yeah, my, you know, I, I guess I was I was sort of hinting at it. It was, uh, you know, a, a long time ago, a friend Yared said to me, he said, um, like some, you know, some some friendships are for like really deep discussion and, you know, trying to solve the problems of the world. And some friendships are for ice cream. Right. And you just can't treat one like the other. Mm-hmm. And I think you can kind of, ex- you know, you can expand that that notion of like some of our relationships are supposed to do one thing. Uh, and some of our relationships are supposed to do something very different. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think the thing that you were just saying is like, it's in some ways, it's a modern idea that we can fit all of our human expectations into one relationship and then try to have that relationship carry the burden of all that. Like, it, it's just not possible. Mm-hmm. I, well, I don't think it's possible. But also, I think kind of historically, it's just like that, that wasn't a thing, but it seems to be a thing now. I think it's part of this kind of post uh when did things get you know different for us I, I you know i guess here in the states we had a little homestead era that like uh was was it that show that your people watch little, little house on the prairie my people yeah i think they did well at first actually Raphael, that was a book by this woman named um Laura Ingalls Wilder that turned into a show but before that there was a whole series oh, okay of the, okay I mean, I'm just saying, I think that got popular with Michael Landon. I don't think you know who that is in the, I think, 70s. But that was happening, you know, in literature way before. It was like a thing. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) same difference, right? Yeah. I'm sure. uh, Yeah, same difference. So, you know, but there was a homesteader uh, era that was happening uh, here in the United States and probably, you know, maybe around the world. Um, I think we industrialized a little bit after England did. Um, and then there there was enough people who started moving into the cities once uh, people can get their their kind of their needs met, and, you know, food, clothing, shelter, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. With the advent of you know like supermarkets and department stores, and maybe even not even supermarkets at first, it was probably like groceries and you know butchers that kind of thing. Um, but the you know the 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 way that relationships started to look once people were living close to each other, mm-hmm. that changed. Uh, and, and you know I think the gender roles changed with with that as well. Right. Um, that book, that book, you know, um, the all or nothing marriage. Who right. wrote That book. What's Our, his name? I, I want to say, <laughs> I want to say it's Ari Finkel. Okay, let's let's just call it Ari Finkel. Yeah. Book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, he talks about this as as well with uh, my people, um, the show uh, Leave It to Beaver. He, mm. he kind of claims that to be kind of this picture of what the female and male role looked like in a marriage that kind of started a thing. Uh, who knows? Uh, that's according to right. pr- probably Ari Finkel. That That's kind <laughs> of what he says. I really that, hope that's his name. Yeah, we'll clear it up maybe right. later. But... Uh- yeah, he kind of claims that this is the thing, that it started to be um, what it, it created kind of a picture of, um, you know, the single like unit family doing something within their like in their home and the mother and the father kind of depending on each other for, you know, when I think back to Leave it to Beaver so long ago, I think, you know, certainly you saw this interplay between the wife and the father, but they had these very distinctive roles. But it looked like there was a dependency on each other for most things. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, why, okay. why do you sound surprised? No, I mean, I, I've never, se- I've never seen that show either. I wouldn't um, be surprised. I'm not but, surprised uh, at that. Either. No, I be- there used to be a there used to be a cartoon called Leave the Beaver. I saw that. Oh, there was. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That was that was Dennis the Menace. Never mind. <laughs> it was. Uh, but I like. It was another white family I, I, doing some It was stuff. Dennis the Menace. <laughs> okay. You can you can hear how they like sound alike though, they right? They do. Yeah. Dennis okay. the Menace. Yeah, they have a few words <laughs> to the title. Right. Beaver, Dennis. Right. In yes. my head, they're the same. They're not, right? They're the same. Uh, I also used to, I mean, this is a side note, but like like Elton John and Billy Joel and Billy Idol, I used to not be able to like to tell those names apart. Elton right? John, Billy Joel, right. Billy. So there's a, some Billies. Right. Which is to say some nothing Joels about their, their music or how they looked. They were just names that were so... Um, at any rate, I digress. Okay. I digress. So here's the question. If if we you know have looked at if we've looked at how uh, this sort of like modern you know concept of what the relationship has evolved to what it is now, um, how is it that? So I mean I guess we started off talking about that the way that people conceptualize their relationships uh, and if they put too much stock in it. In the adult uh, primary attachment or right. primary, yeah. As opposed to kind of looking at the full spread of their relationship. And maybe even, so maybe even this, maybe even because they expect, uh, and I might have to look at some of my own stuff here, because they expect so much from what you would call a primary relationship, um, that they end up investing less in, in these other types of relationships uh, that probably could be performing better. Uh, but because they overinvest, not overinvest, but because they don't, because they are looking for so much utility, they're expecting so much utility out of out of this one relationship. Um, really, they're, they're kind of um, they're letting these other ones not fall by the wayside, but they're not doing enough. So on TV, at least, and I don't know if this is true because one, I'm not on TV, and two, I just don't know. But but when I look at uh, if you think of like the, the kind of bridezilla archetype um, who was like waiting to be... Like, Are you referring th- to the show Bridezilla that was on cable, that guy, that person? Yeah, I mean, I think that the term predates the show. Oh, I didn't but, know that. Yeah, but just that archetype of uh, today is going to be the most important day of my life, which is ridiculous. Um, and I'm going to be a princess and this day is about me. Today is going to be the most important day of my life because I'm going to get married. Right, right, Got right. It. Um, whereas if, you know what I mean, as if the universe just kind of converges on like your, you know, existence because you got married, you got married, people have been getting married for, I don't know, the beginning of civilization. It's not, you know, um, if we look at the divorce rates in the United States, like hold on to your, at any rate, but that's a, the point is this, um, if, if you take that archetype, uh, it, it, the portrayal that I get out of that archetype is that at some point you stop you you start talking to your friends less that your friends become um, you know less important and, and something kind of akin to like husband worship starts to emerge and this is before kids mm-hmm. and then by the time you have the kids you know now you you, you have a little bit of husband worship uh, God forbid God forbid your body doesn't look the way that it did before you have the kids uh, because then that becomes a whole you know separate issue but now you got the kids got your husband and your family however you can conceptualize your family unit now you got your family unit and that's the thing that you've always wanted Mm -hmm. that's the second most important thing outside of your wedding day right i have my family unit my two kids or three kids or whatever it is and the tv version of this at least is that 
you, you stop investing in those other relationships, those other friendships that could, in theory, be extremely meaningful. But because you and all of your peers have kind of, you know, taken the same pill, now you have an entire friend network that has degenerated into something that is less meaningful than it, than it could be. And again, I don't know if this is real, whether real life mirrors this, but you, you probably have a better sense of what's happening in those types of relationships. Yeah. Well, and I think this is really interesting because I think you and I could speak to this so differently. We had such different experiences growing up and, you know, what this all meant, what marriage meant, what marriage meant to me, what marriage meant to you, which I think is is kind of fascinating because you and I have had talks about, you know, relationships and marriage and the the scope of how we look at things has been so different, um, which is cool. I mean, that that's part of it. But Getting back to that question, I remember just a story, little antidote about myself. I remember, so I grew up, my high school and young adult years were in the 80s. Um, I was in high school in the 80s, and um, I remember I, I always had these long-distance boyfriends for, for whatever reason. I did that. Hmm. I mean, I kind of can surmise why I did that now. <laughs> what, what do you think you did that? Oh, oh, that's a probably a whole different show. I think I liked the freedom of not having to be in kind of invested in this relationship on a daily basis. Right. But I like the idea that I had this person that was also like my person. Gotcha. So from a very early age, I think for me, whatever my psychology was doing, I liked this notion of freedom within a relationship. Right. Um, so yeah, all through high school, I was in these very long, not very long distance, but you know, there was an internet, there wasn't cell phones. So, you know, we were writing letters. I have boxes of letters from... Like the first boyfriend, he went to Eastern Illinois University. That was Wait, about. You, you said you have boxes of letters still. Still in the basement. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could get them out. I'll probably never get them out again. In fact, I've thought about those. It's like well, they'll just be burned someday. But anyway, so um, my first boyfriend Greg was at Eastern Illinois University. Then my second boyfriend was Tom. He was at um, Illinois University of Illinois. So I dated these two guys. One, one, Greg was like a couple years. Tom was like six or seven years. I continued this long distance relationship. Um, and I carried this on. And I remember in high school, I think it was my senior year, um, I was feeling very antsy that I couldn't just like enjoy my year, even though he's long distance. So I remember sitting on the steps in my house at the top of the steps and my mom was at the bottom of the steps. And I said to her, and my, you know, so my mom came of age in the 50s. And I said to her, I really think that I want to break up with Tom because I just want to be young. I just want to be with my friends and not have any kind of notion that I'm with somebody. Right. And I remember the advice to my mo- from my mother to me was, oh my gosh, Angie, <laughs> that's such a stupid idea. She said something like that. So it's such a stupid idea. Um, you know, you're going to graduate from high school and go to college and your friends are going to go by the wayside. The person that you date is going to be the person that you're with. So your mom actually had this idea that like your friends are not, that, well, that would be saying. your primary. Oh, when when you asked me, because I was like, yeah, I mean, that was actually taught to me. It was like, hmm. your, friends are, your friends are kind of superfluous. They'll be around, but they're not a primary investment. Your primary investment is the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, right? 
And even when she told me that, I so I didn't break up with him, even though I wanted to, which right. is a lot. But I think mostly because I didn't want to disappoint her. But I did have this feeling like, what's wrong with me? I mean, I really guess, I guess I should just be looking at this relationship or whatever the relationship will be that will carry on. And my friends don't, they're that, not really that's this so interesting. I mean, even if divorce rates didn't look like, like they do... Right now in the United States, and and I guess the divorce rates are, are actually starting to abate, so they're not still uh, climbing at the rates that, that they were. Isn't it because people aren't getting married at the rates? Uh, I, I, I don't I don't remember the okay. the analysis, but it, it there was something that was slowing them. But I think it's just is also like more significant. Like I think marriage as an institution is actually doing better. Okay. Um, but but even even um, even if we could put you know our heart, our our high divorce rate to the side. You you were already. It sounds like you were already getting this message to not abandon your friendships, but but like sort of this this notion of having to pick and choose between investing in your you know your secondary tertiary relationships right. and and uh, and what you might consider a primary. And that is to say that this this idea that. Friends are will fall by the wayside, mm-hmm. but your spouse is going to be forever. That's right. And that, yeah, that seems like a false choice to me. But go ahead. What were, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, you know, as I've as I've gotten older, I mean, it has not played out at all. You know, and and I think I had to reteach myself that. You know, to invest in friendships, to care about the people that are outside of my primary primary relationship. But, you know, my friends that I have now, I mean, such richness. And I can't imagine them being superfluous, like just extra things in my life. But I I did have to kind of learn how to do that. Hmm. Yeah, what happens? uh, I'm super curious as to what happens for for people um, who just, I don't know. Um, So when I'm looking at that and I'm thinking about how people construct their friendships, and then what does it mean if... Like, what does it mean for for people who who don't have the like, you know? So there's still lots of people who are like looking for looking for a partner, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and enough times, I, I so frequently I, I get the feeling that it's not just their other relationships that um, that kind of fall by the wayside as they're obsessing over this idea. Um, and it, you know, again, I think the idea is a little bit of a false one, right? It, it's a, it's a honeypot that, you know, kind of traps people in, in the wrong way of thinking. I think, um, but also, I mean, there are these other areas of their life that seem like relatively underdeveloped because they're so focused on having a relationship, one, having a relationship, but also, you know, having it look a, a particular kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that you should abandon this idea of finding a relationship. Like human relationships matter to us. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if you don't have that relationship that's doing the thing that you want it to be doing now, does that mean that all these other areas of your life that should, in theory, kind of contribute to some richness, that those should just be like, I don't know, left to left to their own devices? Yeah, it's interesting because I think it's hard. I think one, I think our culture in in the United States kind of worships this idea of the romantic connection you know it's everywhere it's on you know we've heard this so many times in movies is in literature it you know it's always the kind of portrayed as to the icing on the cake of of life um and so i think we kind of go with this belief that 
if only, if only we have this thing that then um, we will be happy, we'll be satisfied. And as long as we don't have that, I think it keeps us distracted enough to just be looking. Um, because it's such a, a loud, uh, it's kind of resonating in our in our brain, in our life, that this is the thing that's going to eventually make us whole. Mm. Um, so, you know, whether it plays out that way or not, I mean, oftentimes people get in a relationship and they have a really sucky relationship because, and we've talked about this, I mean, it doesn't make you whole. It right. won't. It actually highlights the things that are there that you're probably going to have to work on even a little harder when there's somebody around you. Um, because those things will get activated, right? Yeah. I, so it's funny people's relationship with with, with happiness uh, because I think as long as you stay in this 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 mode that says I'll be happy when mm-hmm. I'll be happy when I get this relationship or job or have a kid or something like that, um, and you know I, I want to be a little bit careful about the one uh, about. So certainly I think it's possible to be happy even if you don't have children, and you want children. Um, but I also, one, as a person who is, uh, I, I don't know if y'all can tell by my voice, but I'm not a woman. And not that some women don't have deep voices, that's not what I'm saying, but I happen not to be one. Uh, but I'm not a woman, and uh, I have no idea how the biological, imper- if there is one, mm-hmm. what that imperative is like, and how it affects you. I have no idea. So. I like be, chemically, emotionally, yeah, mentally. Right? Bio, yeah. Like, is there a biological clock? Does it matter? Does it affect you? Does it affect is your it happiness? Taking? Right? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yes. Um, and I'm unwilling, just because, you know, I'm unwilling to do the research on it. Hmm. Like, I, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm not going to read that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll take I'll take other people's, um, their their testimony right. uh, as as important enough or as factual enough mm-hmm. uh, informative enough that I'll just I'll go with it so let's say let, other people's testimony and what is that testimony that so you know I, I have friends for, for whom like having a child was like central in, in how they can struct their their idea of being happy right um, and so certainly you know even that gets in your blueprint we talked before about it that's certainly part of the expectation that you have for your life and when that expectation doesn't get met I, I think it affects your happiness um, but and so that part you know I know that we can reframe cognitively you know in terms of our expectations I guess I'm just admitting the fact that I, I don't know how that plays out chemically for people mm-hmm. um, but you know this one caveat of children notwithstanding um, I think as long as we have this idea that I'll be happy when I, you know, achieve this thing or get this thing, uh, then we've uh, we've erected this this false barrier to happiness, uh, and really have uh, kind of put it on the horizon in a way that it's like super hard if if super hard to achieve if at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this that was a sh- I think that was our show last I think it was last week. No, last week was the xenophobe show. Maybe it was the week prior. <laughs> Um, where we were talking about, you know, how to just be happy with where you are when your life doesn't meet your expectations. Right. It's actually taking stock in what you want and not living with this caveat, as you might say, um, of I'll be happy when. Right. Or I'll be happy when I get this or I'll happy be happy when this leaves, um, when I get rid of this. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you know, and I think, yeah, relationships are kind of up there on the list of what people have kind of revolve around to 
um, think that this is the the formula that this is what's going to make their life um, good and as long as they're on that hook you know and they don't really know one way or the other the the search for the mate continues and who knows I mean even in the shirt search and you're not getting the mate well just proving your point you know well I haven't found him that's why or I haven't found her that's why I'm not happy right. um, and so this distraction around um, continuing to look I think can be a thing, and I'm again. I just want to make a little. Um, I want to insert in here that I, I get wanting to have a primary partner or a relationship. That I don't think I'm not trying to pathologize that at right. all. No, of course. Right. I mean, it, people want that, and it makes sense. And research, if we want to talk about happiness, research shows that those that are um, connected to a long-term par- partnership that they live longer and that they are happier, and it actually they're more physically healthy, you know, in the long run, that's what the research plays out. So there's something to this. Um, But I think it also is kind of this false sense of where we put all of our eggs in the happiness basket. So here's one of my concerns, right? Here's where I think it has the potential to be. So I want to say dangerous. Uh, Dangerous is obviously hyperbole. But here's where I think it has the ability to to kind of really undermine us. And it's in this it's in this sense. Um, it feels like while people are waiting for the relationship to happen or for them to get to the relationship or for their relationship to look the way they want it to look, uh, I feel like enough people aren't actually doing enough of the inner work. They're not working on themselves uh, enough to actually even get to a place where, uh, so a, a couple of ways. One, to get to a place where you start to thrive and you get to be happy anyway. Uh, and so they're waiting, right? They're like kind of in a holding pattern. Uh, and that's fine. You can be in a holding pattern. Maybe the relationship hasn't happened yet. Maybe you're still waiting. I- I'm okay with that, right? It's not like you have to go out and get a partner immediately. All I'm saying is that it's while you're waiting for the type of relationship that you want to happen, also be working on yourself. So, you know, the inestimable uh, Jim Rohn says, obviously, I'm a big Jim Rohn fan. He says, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 really, I think the the kind of implication is like constantly working on yourself, um, doing doing the inner work, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you're not doing that inner work because you're preoccupied with this thing that is external to you to happen, you're waiting for that thing to happen. Then you're all, you're one, you're missing a, uh, a type of opportunity that will allow you to really kind of bloom and, and flourish and um, develop your own happiness. But also like. W- even when that relationship does happen, what are you going to be bringing to the table? Yeah. Right? You, you just like, oh, I've been waiting all this time to be happy. <clears throat> and what if that person was like, you know, that you do meet has been doing the work on themselves mm-hmm. and they don't want to just be in a relationship where uh, the expectation is that you will fulfill me somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- those are really good points. I think it's hard to, at times, for people to understand that what they really are doing is waiting instead of living. Um, you have to be aware that that's what's going on. I mean, it can be disguised. It can look like waiting is living um, because their preparation is for what is to come. You know, I had this uh, person that I knew a long time ago who um, <clears throat> had so much uh, pain in trying to find a partner. And she was, I think she was like in her early 30s and all of her friends were you know, mostly finding partners and she felt so out of it and couldn't figure out um, 
how to be happy with this idea of not having a partner. And so she did, she put a lot of effort into trying to figure out how to get a partner. And we talked and talked and talked and talked. And after a few years... Um, when you said put a lot of effort in, are, are you are you free to say what kind of effort? Yeah, like dating websites, went on numerous dates. Gotcha. Uh, kept her eyes peeled for the next person. Right. Made sure that she was talking to the right person was at the Was she working party. on herself at the same time? So here's the thing. She was and she wasn't. So And, and this is my point. When I get to the, 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 uh, the conclusion of this, what, what we finally started to unpack was that she wasn't necessarily free to work on herself the way she wanted to if she had all of this attention going to why can't I get a partner? And it started to bury um, all of what she was free to do otherwise. And she came to this really brave conclusion. I think at this point, she was around 35, was that she was done for, she was done trying to date. Like she was going to let herself off the hook. She was going to not worry about her mother's, you know, um, laments around why don't you have a person yet or her friends saying just try this or I have a friend somebody that you should meet right. she let all of that go good for her and it was a process though she had to get there and she kind of but it was it was kind of this astounding thing because I haven't seen a lot of people do this but one day she just decided she said I'm done I'm off of websites dating websites I'm off trying to do this and it was like everything was unleashed. I'm not saying this works for everybody, but you could feel all of this kind of, it was like almost like her life started to open. Sure. Without all of this attention being right. paid to this one particular thing that she hadn't right. understood that she was taking so much time paying attention to. And I got to tell you, and I can't tell you all the details of where she soared because it's giving too much information away, but she blossomed in ways that, you know, would be phenomenal if I could tell you. Right. No, so... I mean, that's exactly, that's, a, so, you know, I, I used to do day coaching before, you know, the day coaching led to the, eventually to the life coaching, which led to the, uh, you know, personal development coaching. But, you know, when I was still doing day coaching, I mean, this was the thing um, it is because you're so, I don't want to use the word obsessed, but sometimes obsessed, right? In, in this one area, uh, there's neglect happening in some other areas. And I got to say that, you know, if we've gotten this far, um, you haven't even, you know, so you know, I asked this question earlier about what are you bringing to the table? Like, you're not even ready for a relationship. Mm. If, if the perfect relationship fell into your hands right now, you would crumble it, right? Like, you would not even be able to, to make sense out of it because you, like, you, you haven't done enough of the work. And, and there, there's so, for, for some people, there's a sense of, um, so very, very early, you know, um, uh, you know, as a date coach, I had a client who really wanted someone to just love him for who he was, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and you know, this this is one of these things in, in our culture that I think there's enough emphasis around this myth that uh, everyone has someone just for them. But like in a fairy tale way, where everyone has a match, yeah, that's great. But that that's not how it is. Like we're animals. We're looking, you know, to, to kind of make matches. And especially if you live in the city, it's a market, right? It's a, it's, it's a market. Especially in the city. Right, especially in the city. Mm-hmm. And, and if you are competing in the market with whatever, you know, uh, whatever it is, whatever value that you bring to the table, it's your best, you know, it's your, almost your obligation to make sure that your offering is the best one. 
And so, you know, this guy was like, you know, I just want someone to love me for who I am. But the truth is, he sucked. He sucked, like, really hard. Hmm. He was, uh, am I allowed to say sucked? Well, it's, it's my podcast. You know, yeah. I'll say what I want. Yeah, we've said a lot um, of things. <laughs> uh, but he, he was really kind of, he had an obnoxious personality. He had a, a face that I would say on a 1 to 10, I'd give him like a 4, right? Where 10 is beautiful and 1 is, mm, uh, he, he was about a 4, right? Okay. Which is not the worst. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. You got to bring something to the table. Okay. Um, he had no money. Okay. He had no money. He had a great body. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. No money. Not that. It's a lot of external. You're not, doing a not lot of external it, as, um, assessment. Right that's now. right. It's a market, yeah. right? It's very, of course I'm doing a lot of external. Because when you walk into a market as someone's trying to date, you can't ignore physical beauty. Like that. That's Jim. So I talked about Jim Rohn earlier. Jim Rohn has another thing that he says that I love. He says, uh, people shouldn't judge you by how you look. They, they shouldn't. But they do, right? God loves you on the inside. People are going to look at the outside. And whether we like it or not, this is just going to be a fact. Uh, as someone who is entering, and again, I think this matters way less if you don't live in a city. Um, for all these other kind of like... A major city. Like a, yeah, like a, yeah, like a big, you know, like Urban Philadelphia, Central. New yeah. York. Right. Uh, and even New York, I think, is interesting enough because they have a, a, a class thing that really... Um, kind of sections people off in an interesting way. Um, but, you know, if you don't live in a big metropolis, um, I think things get a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because the market aspect is not, it's, it's not so, um, it's not so controlling uh, in, in terms of how people make their decisions. But, yeah, you know, if, if this is the case, uh, then, yeah, like, have something to offer other than just all I'm saying is this let me dial back the notion that you want somebody to love you for who you are and who you are is not that great there's some things that you can actually do to get better as a person right like he's not gonna be able to change his looks and he doesn't need to right but maybe you become a better person maybe you you read some books become more interesting maybe work harder on yourself and then when you show up You'll not only just show up and be more interesting, you'll also be more confident. You'll have a, a deep understanding of what it is that you're bringing. You'll have a deep understanding of it's like, oh, actually, we can do this together. You'll have a vision. And that, for me, that, that's meaningful. Yeah, I think people get locked into the, kind of this cycle of the fear that they don't have enough to bring. Um, and so they're so distracted by what they think they don't have to bring that it's hard to work on what they could be bringing. And they're kind of stuck in this like vacuum of maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe that's why I don't have somebody. And they just kind of circle that, you know? And, and well, I, listen, here's what I'm saying. Maybe you're not good enough. I, I heard you. As is. I heard you. I, I heard that. Right. I, you I, wanna heard, let people, I hear your tough love. You, you want to let people off the hook. I don't. And I, what I'm saying is not working for them. So well, and you know, you're kind of telling me what I want to do. I don't know that I want to let people off the hook. I just want to look at some of the complexity of this because I think there is complexity. I don't know that it's just if you don't have somebody, you're not doing the work. And I don't think you said this bar none. Like you're not doing the work to make yourself better. And that's why you don't have somebody. I don't think it's as easy as that. I know a lot of really good people out there that haven't found a partner. I don't know that they're not good enough. I think they are distracted around wanting somebody, which takes kind of like that person I was telling you about before, which takes some of the energy around living a full life. Mostly, and this is what the research out there shows, is 
confidence is one of the number one things that right. people are attracted to. Right. If you're confident in your life, so I'm saying, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a magnet. Right. Um, and so, and, and you know, I don't want to get lost in this. So go work on your confidence, so you get to be a magnet. It's just if you're living a full life, it's already attractive. That's it what really I'm saying. Is. So these are the okay. same thing. Uh-huh. Work on yourself, offer more, and not only will you automatically be happier, but you'll also still be bringing more to the table. And you'll be more confident. Like, but that's win-win. <laughs> like, what, what, what's the argument for not, how about this? What's the argument for not working on yourself? There isn't an argument for not working on yourself. That's all I'm saying. I just don't want to make this an if, if this, then that. It's, I think it's a little bit more complex than that. I do think there are ways that we can kind of pull back from this notion that somehow the happiness is gonna come through this ultimate other. I do think there's some some stuff in there around organization and attachment theory, which is what we talked about. I think we mentioned that last week, you know, that we have these primary attachments as children. We grow up for the primary adult attachment. Esther Perel, we've mentioned her on the show before. She's a relationship expert. She says that adults what, what she's found through research is that adults have three primary relation adult relationships in their life like that are that are very significant and she says sometimes that's with the same person so in other words three separate relationships with the same person mm. because you're changing enough that you're now creating something different that's interesting yeah which i i found to be really insightful and probably plays out for most people well, I'll say this, since I definitely don't think we're going to solve this uh, in, the, in the amount of time that we have left, uh, I think that the thing for which I, I advocate the most is, is, is that Jim Rohn idea of just working hard on yourself. And I think if, if we can do that, that, I mean, it'll just, it's like a little like power seed. Do you remember like those miracle growth? I never knew if this worked, but do you remember the miracle grow little sticks that you would have and it would be like food for your plant? And, like the chia pet? Am I way off? Uh, you're not way off. I mean, like so it still involves them. plants. Yeah. But no, miracle Grow was like, it was uh, it was like these little, it was supposed to be Oh, miracle like, Grow is like a fertilizer type thing. Right. Still right, off, right, off. Right, right, No, it might have been a fertilizer. Okay. I mean, I didn't know what it was. They, yeah. they said it, you know, I was a, I was a kid. Uh, I haven't seen a commercial for miracle right. Grow forever. But they said it was, it was food for your plant. Yeah, I think it's a fertilizer. Uh, that that actually makes sense. Yes, miracle grow. Uh, and so that's what you know. That's what we need for our lives. We need fertilizer, right? Fertilizer. Uh, and that's 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 working. That's working hard on you. Um, and then lots of things start to bloom. They start to grow after that. So oh, that's all I thought that was just beautiful. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so speaking of working hard on us, and I don't know how this relates, but we gotta go. Yeah, yeah. that's that's fine. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll talk to you in a week. Thanks for listening. All right, bye. See ya.